maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Dr. Andrea is described as the new iconoclast redefining the neo-paradigm on what it means to lead a life full of vitality. Andrea is a futurist and master of lifestyle medicine. As a practicing epigeneticist, Andrea comes from a decade of setting trends in the international wellness scene. Now working in future tech and expert system design, she programs health-related artificial intelligence and works in biodata feedback all ethics and policy regulation. Side projects include EQ Consulting in the blockchain, all AI space, hosting online fasting retreats and presiding over the Institute for Aliveness, training people to become truly holistic practitioners, prepared to uplift the plight of the modern man. Andrea is a speaker and TV and media presenter, currently running superhuman activation programs under the campaign Live for Vitality. She's led retreats, trainings, and workshops worldwide. So with that, welcome, Andrea. I'm so happy to have you back. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Yes. So, you know, um, I invited you back from my last summit because I just found you to be just a wealth of information, and you have such a unique perspective, and you're up to such interesting things. So I am really excited to get your perspective on stress, all things stress. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I, like when I hear you say that I'm up to interesting things, like there's a core reaction in me that's like, why aren't we all up to interesting things? Like, why is that even a thing? Like, interesting things are what life is for. Um, and yeah, for sure, stress is, uh, to me, it's almost the, the simple symptom that something in life isn't aligned. And so the stress antidote is to just get more in alignment with why we're here. And that leads us back to doing interesting things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the first thing that's coming to mind right now is, do you think that most of us are stressed because we're not actually up to interesting things? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if there's a direct causation there. There's definitely a correlation there. Um, because when we're up to interesting things, it just shows that we're thinking outside of the box, that we are beyond the nine to five norm, that we have not taken life as it's been served to us, but rather we've taken all of the ingredients of life and made a dish much better than could have ever been served to us. It's that critical inquiry and that engagement with life that allows us to come alive in a whole new way and result in much lower stress life. So that's, that's my thought on that. When we, when we talk about stress, and I, I'm sure that we covered this in the sleep summit solutions from last year, um, we're very much speaking about the nervous system, right? And in the human neuroanatomic system, we have this, the flight or fight response, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the sympathetic nervous system setting, and the relaxation response. And so like a classical kind of almost neurochemist would come in and say, uh, you know, just switch over into your relaxation response. And so then we have the practices of meditation and yoga and mindfulness at large to offer us an opportunity to become more calm, right? I think there's already several apps called Calm. And this is what everyone's searching for. 
But if we do like another version of calm, it's not externally sourced. Rather, uh, what we can do is step back and say, I can start to take care of myself better. And, and self-awareness, knowing when we're not taking care of ourselves, is really the tipping point for that, for me at least, in, in understanding that, oh wait, stress is and will always be there. What I can do is be really mindful about how I respond to it and really to a large extent what I say and how I feel and how I, how I choose to spend my days. And so the nervous system tipping point between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, that's still there. That's the hard wiring. But on that hardware, we can start to run whatever software programs we want. And so it's about how we live our life. And that's what epigenetics is. It's showing that it's not what we were dealt a la our DNA. Rather, it's how we allow that to come alive. And then we're back to doing interesting things. <laughs> mm. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I love the hard and software analogy. Yeah, you know, I'm getting into tech, so <laughs> more, more tech analogies to come. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, we were just chatting before uh, we hit record on some of what you've been up to over the last time since we spoke. And I would love if you could share a bit about that and how you are coming to understand different perspectives on stress responses. Yeah. So um, I, when we when we picked up this call, I, I noticed that within you that something had really changed. Like a, uh, it's not even a year later. No, it was in April that the last one was. And so over that time, I've noticed a change in your voice and a different kind of presence. And um, so I acknowledge that you've gone through a lot of growth. And growth is, of course, the trademark of uh, evolution at large. And so hopefully we are all evolving. That's what being up to interesting things is about. And stress, to a certain extent, does also help us evolve. Um, but me my, and me myself, uh, I've also been through lots of changes and transformations in terms of where I devote my energy and my time and um, really where I apply this work. Because the work that I'm doing now, which is much more in the in the tech space um, through programming artificial intelligence and working with artificial emotional intelligence and um, opening new design spaces for having our physiology program AI so that we can all have our own self-response mechanism, kind of technologizing, is that a word? <laughs> Technologizing, I'm gonna put a size in there. Uh, awareness so that there's feedback from our technology on, on really how it is that we are not only spending our time, like Apple took a big stance in that when they created the, um, if you go to your home screen, you can see on an iPhone uh, how you've been spending your time. If it's in social media or if it's in productivity or if it's in checking your mail or whatever it might be. Um, and so that, that little technologically assisted self-reflection I hope to create in the realm of physiology, which is what my practice is or has been for 10 years in, in yoga and in, of course, fasting and natural health at large. And so technology can help us with the self-awareness. And um, the question that you asked me is, what is it that I'm up to now? So I'm working a lot <clears throat> in the same ways, 
but with different applications. So for example, um, I work with CEOs of large companies or tech startup founders who got really successful and are headed straight towards the destination called burnout. And learning how to take care of ourselves is not something that's modeled in modern society. Again, that nine to five story of man as machine, of mechanistic living, really, uh, and getting up to go to work, to come home, to maybe spend an hour with friends or family to eat, of course, somewhere in between, to go to sleep and do it all over again the next day. And it's like, why are we doing this? What is life about? And so stress is the result of when we are so disconnected from any conceptualization of an answer to that question. And we are so caught in the whirlpool of modern society and modern city life that we don't have a moment to again, step back and self-reflect on like what's really going on here. Because again, the stressors will always be there. And that's anything from the ambulance in the city streets going that at a very visceral level taps into the nervous system and makes us feel agitated, right? It turns on the sympathetic nervous system response. Anything from that to your boss hearing the click of their shoes walk down the hall with that looming gloom of, did I finish this? Or what if he sees me doing something that's not what he wants? Or or maybe she, whatever it might be. Um, Stressors are in our life. A stressor could be a mother-in-law. A stressor could be having to go home and take care of your dog when you're stuck in traffic or whatever it might be. Um, That is modern life. That is urban life to a large degree because we know very, very, very palpably that nature which uh, as a trained anthropologist, I'm always uh, irked by the fact that we have the word nature because nature itself is everything that is, right? Nature is what's there. Our unnatural being is what's on top of it. So that's what we need more of a label for. But anyway, nature going out into the earth unaltered or unadulterated by man, getting in touch with that essence of aliveness on this planet inherently rebalances our physiology and corrects any quality of imbalance. So having feet in soil is linked not only to microbial uptake, antidepressant effect, but also touching a tree or a leaf or allowing the sunshine to be on your skin. These have direct physiological implications that induce a state of health. You can hear the clearly I'm outside while I'm recording this interview but like it's it's so simple and thankfully studies are coming out so the scientific mind can critically analyze and be like oh yes of course nature is good for us well what is the city the city is the concrete jungle the city is to a large extent the absence of nature or the presence of heavily manicured nature right and so that level of disconnection with the earth and I won't go esoteric and say Gaia mother earth that kind of stuff like we don't need you don't need that right the sacredness about it is implied we don't need to emphasize it but the disconnection from the earth and that's to a large extent in the work that I do from where our food comes from right knowing that to even knowing how to grow food what if apocalypse happens tomorrow do you have any idea of how you'd survive right many of my clients are <laughs> pretty well equipped because now they, they know how to fast, right? So fasting would be a, a pretty good tool in an apocalypse situation. And it's also a, a wonderful anti-stress tool because the nervous system resets when we go into a fasting state. 
But anyway, nonetheless, uh, coming into just that awareness that we are so disconnected from any natural state of being or any natural state of being really an animal on this earth. Because at the end of the day, homo sapiens are a species, which is an animal. <laughs> and like that, that acknowledgement alone can bring us back to a sense or a place of curiosity of saying, oh, okay, well, how can I reconnect more? And then as we ask that question, right, or as we start to do interesting things, like maybe going for a hike three hours out of the city, or I, I give people assignments to go find spring water out in the countryside, natural spring sources. And as we engage in natural surroundings, it's this deep breath of remembrance of what life's like out of the city. And so now that more than half of the entire global seven and a half billion population of humans on this planet live in cities, that tipping point happened quite a few years ago, more than five years ago, where more than half of the world's population lives in cities. We have to say, okay, yes, progress, but progress towards what? And I think that this summit that you're putting on, along with many other discussions about like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> Many media networks are coming up with programs to, to really ask this question because people today are so disconnected that we're looking for deeper meaning. And stress is simply the symptom of that disconnection. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> oh, that is good. So I wonder, I mean, you're talking about connecting back to nature and, and just having that curiosity about kind of what, what's out there beyond my everyday surroundings. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned emotional intelligence mm -hmm. to help combat burnout. And so I'm wondering, do you, you know, how do you see curiosity playing into a skill set for emotional intelligence? How do you see those two connecting? 100%. So, I mean, there are a few things here because curiosity is a luxury in the world of today in that mechanized, you know, you go to school to be per, essentially be primed as a machine to work in the corporate crank uh, and, you know, produce more and more and more growth in a, in a somewhat mindless way. Uh, very few people have jobs they're passionate about, but thankfully with the upcoming millennial generation, that's no longer acceptable. And so this curiosity is a luxury that we've been born into in a life where we don't have to survive. Whereas two generations ago, you know, it was much more survival tactics. There were still famines in the world. And um, not that there isn't famine to some extent today, uh, but that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> and nonetheless, the, the luxury of curiosity is one where we can start to instigate self-reflection. And so my AI startup, um, that, that I began in April is um, very much that. It is an interface that instigates self-inquiry. It instigates uh, this process of like, hey, what am I doing right now? How am I feeling right now? What did I do yesterday? How did that make me feel? How do I want to feel, right? And then the work that I'm doing in the design space of uh, intelligence amplification is one in which there's an echo that's created back and forth um, between my physiology and how I'm currently feeling. So that has to do with my heart rate, my breath rate, right? perhaps the amount of neural firing. So what's going on in my brain, any other kind of physiological feedback I can get through an EKG or any other sensor that, I mean, soon we will have many sensors. This is the interface of future tech. I mean, in Sweden, it's already a trend to have chips put under your skin to monitor almost everything. 
right? And so this is the reality of, of, of human evolution is it is technological, at least at the current moment, um, barring apocalypse, of course. And so in this, um, we, we can say, all right, let me awaken to myself. And as I awaken to myself, what that is, is just a real good old hype academic term of emotional intelligence where we're aware not of only our emotions i mean emotions kind of get a bad rap uh, especially amongst men i found and most of my clients especially in the tech space of course are men just by the proportion of things um understanding that this awareness begins at home. It begins with ourself. If I can quote one of my favorite humans who have ever, who's ever lived, Michael Jackson, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, right? It's that quality of literal self-reflection. How am I showing up? Because we're really, really good at trying to change other people and wishing that other people were different, our situations were different, or plaguing on about how hard life is in one way or another, right? Like shit happens, as we say in Latin. It's a natural part of humanity. It's a natural part of life, right? This is the tragedy of comedies or the comedy of tragedies. <laughs> and, and allowing ourselves to have awareness and agency in that is what's at the root of emotional intelligence. It's, it's this, um, again, as, as I began, the self-awareness, and then that leads to awareness of others or to a larger extent, a, a quality of empathy wherein we say okay like this is what i'm feeling in this moment and rather than getting into a reactive space of that's caused by you and this is like simple self-communication stuff and I've, I've been working a lot more with teaching people communication skills as funny as that sounds uh, again we weren't modeled any kind of compassionate aware or self-reflective communication we have been modeled through hollywood through our parents, right? You guys have a father and mother who sometimes have their, their top blow off. I know that. Maybe some of you don't. I want to meet them if you don't. But that, that essence of modeling stress, that that's, of course, what we're going to reproduce. And we need to learn a new way or a new system if we hope to show up differently. And so um, one skill set that I always pull from, and I recommend that anyone listening, this would be a highly recommended resource, is the work of a man named Marshall Rosenberg, uh, called nonviolent communication. And some of you listening might think, well, I don't communicate violently, but the thing is we do every single time that we blame someone for doing something, even if we say it nicely. How can we express ourselves? And so I always give crash courses, like two minute crash courses in, in NBC. And so what it is, is when, it, when you, like everyone listening, just real fast, let's go through this. If you have a situation that's irked you sometime over the past week in your life, think of what it is and go ahead through these four step process. Number one is to observe it as a video camera would. So rather than, oh, you took my chocolate from the fridge, right? Again, that's said with emotion or um, you stole my chocolate. That would, that would be the good non-observation. That would be an accusation, right? Stealing. Uh, rather than you came into the, the room, you opened the refrigerator and you took the chocolate and ate it without asking me. Like that's factual. Everyone can agree. All right. So that's observation. It's what a video camera would see. That's step one. Step two would then be to really identify how it made you feel. And this is the emotional part. 
um, not to give emotions a bad rap, right? This energy in motion is very neurochemical. Sadness creates a certain kind of neurotransmitter release. Happiness, right? It might be serotonin or dopamine, joy. These emotions are all chemically backed. And so whereas emotions can sound sometimes esoteric, they are very chemical and scientific at their root. And so when we come to the second step, remember step one of MVC was observed. Step two is going to be figure out how it makes you feel. And if it's, it makes me feel um, angry, that's okay, sure. But if it's, uh, it makes me feel disrespected, that's actually not a feeling, you see? Mm. Disrespected, it implies that someone else has done something to you. And so the thing about our emotions and our feelings is they are uniquely, wholly, fully ours. And we cannot involve anyone else in them because the same event can happen to four different people and they'll respond in four different ways. It's not the event itself. It's the way in which we interact with our environment. Again, epigenetics. It's what's beyond the, the basic imprint. It's how we interact and engage with life. And so that's step two of feelings, of really identifying. It makes me feel unworthy. Right? When, when, when I see you take my chocolate without asking, or when I see you take the chocolate from the fridge that I had bought without asking, it, like, I feel a deep sense of unworthiness. And then the third part, you ready for it? Mm -hmm. Is the human need of yours that's not being met. Ooh, that's good. Because my human need for comfort and respect, right? Maybe chocolate is my way to self-soothe. I'm sure that many people listening probably identify with that. Um, it's, it's not in my case, but it's a very common one. So it's, hence the example. So this, this third part is the human need that's not being met. And when I first learned NVC about 11 years ago, that was the big tipping point of oh my God, yes, let's get this down to human needs because then we can see actually how we're alike, how we are all part of the same species rather than being dissimilar, or combative or tribal in nature. It's like, no, everyone has a need for comfort, safety and respect. And so when I observe you opening the fridge and taking a chocolate that uh, you didn't buy without asking anyone, um, it makes me feel a deep sense of unworthiness or I feel, not it makes me feel, but I feel a deep sense of unworthiness because my human need for my ability to self-soothe or comfort um, or just general respect of, of the household's rules kind of isn't being met. Um, and so the fourth part, general, is a request, a super simple request. And it usually is best delivered if it starts with the phrase, would you be willing to? So that they have an opportunity to say no. That's really important. Assuming that they're going to do something or telling them what to do isn't, I mean, that's violent communication. <laughs> and so would you be willing to, in the future, ask before you take my chocolate? Or would you be willing to go to the store and get me another one? Or would you be willing to share it with me if you feel like eating it at a certain time? Or whatever your request might be. But that way we're engaging in communication rather than from a place of accusation, which we all so often do, unless we ignite this process of self-awareness and self-reflection. 
right? And the communication is full. It comes from this place of the observation, which is a non-threatening statement that everyone can agree to. It's what the video camera would see, to deeply identifying your feelings about it. Because at the end of the day, it's your issue. It's happening to you. It's not happening to anyone else. And it's no one else's fault. The fact that you're triggered in that certain way has to do with your own life story and the story that we tell ourselves and we have running in our head that could trace back to being three years old and our mom left us in the cradle too long and we had to cry ourselves to sleep for five hours or something, you know? Like we are still wired from that first seven year imprint in life. And so coming to the third step then where we can connect into human needs and we can connect into um, really the essence of that we're all in this together, <laughs> you know? And then making a super clear request for how you would like to see things go in the future and how everyone can win because life can be a win-win situation. And, and then we're back to doing interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> don't feel like we're fighting that battle of stress that is the reality for so many people's lives on the daily. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you shared that. That is just brilliant. That's yeah. a really helpful framework. <laughs> Anyone can listen and go rewind and take notes and, and just try it. Like, and you don't have to try it with another person, right? There have been times where I was early, I was nascent in my NVC practice and I used it in a situation with like someone with authority and power and they were like, you're being manipulative, right? It's that quality of it, like seeing truth and speaking truth can sometimes feel very threatening to people if it's not in a container. So it's best, this kind of practice is best first practice with other people who are familiar with this practice. Um, and even before that, it's best practiced when we do it with ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I would like to loop back to step two, figuring out how it makes you feel. Yes. Uh, curious your suggestions for someone who just doesn't have a very broad vocabulary to kind of match their physiological experience and really, you know, they're like, I feel angry, sad. I don't know. Is, are there more emotions than that? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, I love, I love the word vocabulary. I love your use of the word vocabulary because it is so accurate in that, um, it is a vocabulary. And just when you were a kid, right, you didn't have a very big adult vocabulary. What did you do? You started learning new words. You used them in sentences. You heard other people use them and you interpreted them. And the result of that was that you built a vocabulary. Emotional intelligence is no different. And so anyone on here can Google list of emotions or better list of feelings and start to really start to parse out, dictate, separate uh, what is an emotion versus what is a need, like respect or disrespected. Feeling disrespected, that's not really a feeling, right? But feeling unworthy, a deep sense of unworthiness. Now we're having a different conversation. And so we can maybe post a link with this if you want, um, but practicing and what that requires is a sense of mindfulness that is introspection, that is self-reflection. It's not constantly reacting. So um, the example sometimes I give is having space, right? Again, the luxury of curiosity to engage with our life in a non-reactive way. So someone steps on your toe, Madeline. Oh, fuck. Someone stepped. Wait, can I curse on your show? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> someone stepped on my toe. God. Right. And there's this like this awakening of the pain and that pain triggers an anger body. And then you try to spew it at someone. Um, and this is, this is so common and it's natural, right? Whereas 
a response of someone in this self-reflective inquiry, um, emotionally intelligent space might have someone step on their toe. And there's a little pause there where first they take a deep inhale. Oh, that hurts, right? Like, oh, right. That's what it feels like to have a toe. Oh, yes, that's a pain sensor. And it's, it's moving a little more slowly through this process where when that pain sensor goes off, you can say like, oh, wow, yeah, I see a trigger to get really mad at that person. But what if I choose otherwise? What if I choose, oh my goodness, miss, you know what? There's no reason ever that you would intentionally step on my toe. <laughs> so I know that you didn't do it on purpose and I'm going to love you for doing it because it actually reminded me that I have a toe and a body and what it's like to feel pain and, and have this human experience and the comedy of tragedy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it completely changes the ball game when we just add that little little space that buffer time of breath where we can say oh okay yes and that's what changes our experience of life at a very very deep level because people who are constantly stressed and under chronic stress simply don't allow that space for self-reflection because the stressor and the stress response is not having the agency or better not taking the agency to choose how we interact with our environment, but rather being choosing constant victimhood to the world around us. Yes. So really, I want to point out, because you had said earlier, taking responsibility for your triggers, understanding that that is something, it has little to do with the external circumstances and it's how you're interpreting it. And so I love the resources you shared around building that emotional vocabulary and recognizing that if for some reason like that feels limited to some, someone listening, that it is your responsibility to then deepen into that self-inquiry. And it's fun. Yes. Right? It's fun. When we start to, to have that pause, life becomes so much more interesting, right? We're not simply a mindless consumer of everything, including TV, including advertising, marketing, including people through the dating apps, including food, right? Through an incessant eat, 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 eat. And, and the advertising loop that brings all of that back into a cycle. It's like we are fed so much of expectations of, of how we and life should be that taking that luxury of curiosity and that self-inquiry to step back and say like, actually, how do I want life to be is what enriches everything. And again, it's the antidote to stress. Yeah. And I also love that you, you highlighted earlier, some of the ways that you are using technology to, to help us all move through this with a little bit more ease. <laughs> Cause I think a lot of times tech gets such a bad rap, right? It's like, stay off your cell phone, like, turn off the TV. And I, um, and it's great to hear though, that there are some really useful ways that it's being constructed where we can maybe befriend it and, and yeah, just interact with it differently. Yeah. And I mean, befriending is one thing. It's, it's really the, because we are already deeply interrelated with technology and the choice that we make now is whether we run it or it runs us. And technology could be used as one of the most powerful hands of domination and control. Uh, or it could be used as one of the biggest hands to uplift and, and give us back the agency. And so with all the programs that I create, it ends in, okay, and now go give someone a hug, <laughs> right? It, it, technology is not that end-all be-all in itself. That human life is still, must be experienced among humans. And so that it, it brings us back 
from that place of self-inquiry to that place of interrelating where our communication skills are better because we're showing up more. We're showing up more present. We're showing up more whole, more inquired, more curious, more willing, right? And that's a very different place to show up from, from the stressed out, I don't have time, God, feel bad for me because this is so hard story that so many people today are telling themselves. And, and I have compassion for that too because that seems to have been the only option given previously. And what I'm trying to do is give another option. What I think technology can massively widespread to the billions of people using it on the planet today is a sense of pause, is a sense of desire for that curiosity and the space in between for self-reflection. Yes. Oh, that is so good. Um, and something else you had mentioned earlier that I would love to come back to, you had said buffer of breath. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard that phrased like that before. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And it's just such a simple but potent reminder. Like you're talking yeah. about creating that space. And, and for those of us that feel so stuck in our heads and stuck in our story, that may be just like the first little notch to move us forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, I, hearing you say it back to me makes me think about it because it's also, it's also the first time I've said it, but that quality of uh, you can't do certain things when you're breathing and you must do other things. <laughs> so if we all take a deep breath together, we can't be talking during that breath. So we can't be projecting or we can't be communicating violently or we can't be mindless. We have to be self-reflective during that time where we are physically inhaling. During that time when we're inhaling again, like if you take another breath, it's that amount of time that it takes for the oxygenation of the blood to circulate through the entire body and come back to the heart in order for the exhale, right? Where blood heavier in carbon dioxide, a waste product, to be eliminated. And then it starts all over again. And so there's this recharge, this synergy, this like ebb and flow. It's, it's such a powerful, if you think of the power in the oceans of the tide rising and falling, or if you think of waves themselves, there is a velocity and a force that comes with them. And that's equal velocity and force travels through our arteries and veins every time we take a breath. And so when we allow that process to happen and other, rather engage in it, right, and, and take the breath and allow it to be that buffer, then we're present, we're here, we're alive, we're engaging with life rather than simply reacting to it. And stress is the result of simply reacting to life without truly engaging. So good. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the connect in there. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, we are nearing the end of our time. I want to just make sure if there's any other tidbit that you wanted to share um, that you have the space to do so. But man, you've already packed us in with so much goodness. Yeah. I mean, I always like to make it practical because I can get very theoretical, very philosophical. And like, this is you, everyone listening. This is you. This is your every single day 
life. This is waking up right now, not tomorrow morning, but right now in a way where you say, okay, like what am I experiencing? And it starts with the physical body. It starts always somatically because the moment that we have shoulders hunched up to the ears or we're holding, like do a little scan right now from your toes, go up through your legs, through your thighs, see anywhere in your body where you are feeling a certain sense of tension because that is stress embodied viscerally. Allow your belly to relax as you take that inhale. We talked about the breath already, right? And now again, I sound like a yoga teacher, but it's all, <laughs> it's, I love that career, right? But it's, it's all this essence of self-awareness starts with the body. And that's why yoga is such a gift to the modern world. And so as we start to unwind and relax, and we actually have that post-shavasana experience of the parasympathetic nervous system switched on. That is the biggest gift that we could give anyone in the modern world. And for years in my yoga teacher trainings, that's what I've delivered. That's what I've emphasized for the students is that the biggest gift we can give is empowering someone to learn on their own how to walk the bridge from sympathetic stress response to parasympathetic nervous system relaxation. Because that is what's so deeply needed when we can embody it and we can do it ourselves. So it starts with the body. It starts with this awareness of how to actually just unwind and let go. And so going to classes for that, anything it takes, or simply just setting a timer on your watch every single hour on the hour. When it goes off, you take a breath and you do that body scan. And just like any other habit, just like any other muscular memory of learning to play an instrument or a sport, this too, the relaxation and the unraveling of the muscles that chronic tension released will become a habit that we get better at and build as a skill. It is our vocabulary, right? Our somatic vocabulary. And so as someone relaxes in the body, that's going to directly translate to the mind because the truth is if we're always shoulders up to the ears, neck tight or jaw clenched, that's a big one in the modern world, right? Then that's going to communicate to our mind that there's something in our surrounding that's in fear. And we still have the limbic brain at our very root. We are at a place where we are trying to mitigate danger and survive. And so if we think that there's always going to be a tiger or a lion jumping into the room that's going to eat us at all times, that is what stress is. And so becoming our own caretakers, becoming our own best friends, becoming our own mothers, where we can deeply relax and calm ourselves first physically will have a direct effect upon the mind, upon how we start to see the world, because we won't see the world as lions and tigers jumping at us from all directions. And that can be anything from like a harsh, skinny model advertising of like, this is life good. You have to look like this to be cool or whatever it is to some kind of pharmaceutical fear-based news story, right? Of the newest XYZ virus passing over whatever. There have been seven killings today. It's like if anyone still listens to the news, you're asking for stress <laughs> because there's so much news happening all over the world that we can start to curate it. And that's what a lot of social media has done. It's allowed us to curate our input and that, that's so crucial. So another little side note here would be um, I'm a big advocate for people not only turning off their notifications to take your brain space back, and that, that's a big shift. I have, um, I think I did a Facebook live video. You can check out the Facebook uh, page last year for um, really taking back our neuro, neurotransmitters and um, 
a lot of people have come out about dopamine mining in, in Facebook and um, other social media sites and, and taking back our brain space, recolonizing ourselves. That's what self-awareness is. And uh, turning notifications off is a huge part of that. So you can hear more about how to do it and what to do and what to expect when you do it from there. Uh, and then also the other thing is truly curating your social media. Like go ahead, scroll through it, but do it with intention, not just to surf or hang out. Do it with intention to see what's being posted. How does it make you feel? So we're back to feelings. If it makes you feel happy, joyful, a sense of elation, keep it. If it makes you feel jealous, envious, insecure, insignificant, unworthy, go ahead and unfollow. Forget, remove, dismiss whatever it is. And so choose how you want to feel by starting to curate our surroundings. And so that, that's also the movies you watch, the TV shows you take in, the people we spend our time with, how we spend our time, what we emphasize in our life and what we invest in on a daily. And so all these things um, are super crucial. So I think where I left off was also beginning with the embodiment, starting that practice of just physically relaxing and then allowing that to transmit on a neurological level where uh, what we're taking in and how we're perceiving the world is based upon that deep sense of presence which is peace which is relaxation which is all that's real right because the the dualistic uh, paradigm of happiness denotes sadness and so if we can just find that place of peace where it's like neither up or down, and that doesn't mean we can't have ecstatic experience or underworld processes, but simply just resting for a moment in that place of peace allows us to take the buffer of the breath, allows us to engage with life curiously and say, what do I want to experience right now? Because that is the 21st century world. That is what we're living in, is that freedom to choose. And so these are daily applicable practices. First about carving out what you don't want, which also includes jaw tension and shoulders shrugged up to the ears. About practicing what we do want, which is about being with people who make us feel joyful um, or rather allow us to express ourselves fully and joyously. And it's about this process of self-inquiry that, that kind of is the umbrella over the, the whole ordeal. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, when you go to bed, how much time did you allow yourself for self-reflection? And so I'm a big fan of writing. It's a, it's a part of every program that I facilitate. Uh, and, and stream of consciousness writing where you're just allowing the pen to process everything that ping-pongs back and forth in the mind and in the body ceaselessly throughout the hours of the days. And so giving yourself outlets and uh, taking the buffer of breath embracing new communication techniques and of course movement of the physical body because the stagnation of modern man is what's reflected in the tension that translates as stress oh, brilliant oh gosh thank you so much for those that was really really helpful to just yeah. tie it all together and hydrate At the end of the day it's not about wearing sunscreen like that famous college graduation speech it's about hydration Right? Having two to three liters of water every single day on an empty stomach, not with food, that that alone can change so much because that's the blood flowing through the body. That's the, the ability to renew ourselves daily, to wash ourselves clean of anything we don't want and allow ourselves to rebuild and cleanse at a cellular level. And that's where it comes from. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I just... I just love hearing your knowledge. <laughs> You're so welcome. And I have, I have a whole, and like, that's a thing. It's not knowledge, right? It's wisdom. It's from embodied experience of self-reflection. And I, 
like I'm not special in any way. I just, it's like just so clear. And for people who are muddled in confusion or a big thing is, is listening to scientific reports and people with authority and they know this and that. What, actually, guess what? You have authority because you are the only one living in your body. And so as we become truly the dominators of our own physical existence and we show up in life, Right. It becomes super rich. And um, yeah, if I, I actually didn't ask you yet, Madeline, but I would love to also um, post this interview as a part of my podcast series after you release it. And um, if people want more of this kind of stream of consciousness, understanding of life, I have a whole podcast series with like 50 hours of content plus um, that's accessible. Live for Vitality podcast or liveforvitality.com forward slash podcast. Awesome. Yeah, that's brilliant. Absolutely. Um, I want to wrap us up by asking you to share a bit about the, the gift that you have for our audience. And Yes. So this is an ebook that uh, I wrote to give people this little dose of like something they can hold on to. It's two weeks. So let's say you start tomorrow. The next two weeks of your life could be about creating habits that empower you to make the change. And these include everything that I've talked about today and more. And so it's about adding a new habit each day. And then um, like at the end of the week, kind of going back or the every few days going back and making sure that you are still keeping up on the new habits that you're creating. And that is epigenetics. That is applying how we spend our time in the environment that we create for ourselves at a cellular level, as well as uh, at a bigger level, that when we take these things to heart and we actually show up differently with what we're doing in life, life shows up differently for us and our experience of it completely transforms. So that ebook, yeah, I think you have the link below, yeah? Yes, yeah. So definitely encourage everyone listening to grab that. It sounds fantastic. And you can do so just by clicking the link right where you are listening to this interview. So Andrea, I want to thank you again. It's just such a pleasure to connect with you always. And I know that everyone listening is just gaining a ton of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, it's my honor. Thank you so much for hosting this and for really starting the conversation because we're not supposed to be stressed. That is not the innate condition of the human being. And life is so much more lovely when, when we're having fun. And that's nothing that anyone can argue with. And what requires, um, what's required to have fun is to not be stressed. And so taking as many of these antidotes as possible, it's, it's very necessary for the modern man. So thank you, Madeline. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now. <laughs> <laughs>